You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A stunning new report released today suggests two of the biggest problems facing our province right now are caused by money laundering. The report, titled Dirty Money, confirms criminals have cleaned millions, maybe even billions of dollars through B.C. casinos for years. John Waugh has more on the problem and who's to blame. International organized crime. Thousands overdosing on our streets. People unable to afford a home in this province. That's been the payout for British Columbians as criminals were allowed to launder bags of dirty cash through our casinos. There was the mistaken belief that this activity amounts to a victimless crime. But that is uh, unfortunately a convenient lie. The damning conclusion comes from the much-anticipated report from former Deputy RCMP Commissioner Peter German. The combined effect of years of denial, alternate hypotheses and acrimony between entities made for a perfect storm. This video shows how BC became an international hub for money laundering. At least $100 million in suspicious cash cleaned through large casinos as far back as 2011. The epicenter of the activity, the River Rock Casino in Richmond. Stacks of drug money was exchanged for casino chips. Some of that was lost gambling, most of it cashed out clean, and then used to buy property in our hot real estate market. And nobody said no to taking this money, and, uh, and that uh, is inexcusable. The Attorney General blames the previous government, and despite knowing this report was coming, the BC Liberals did not put up Rich Coleman, then minister responsible for BC Gaming. He's in Victoria. Instead, an MLA who wasn't even a part of the government at the time. I was here today downtown, and uh, as a member of this uh, opposition, I said I would take those questions. Joe Hall insists work had been done behind the scenes, but how did dirty money still make its way in? Well, could we have done more? Every government will say we could have done more. German called the relationship between the BC Lottery Corporation and the under-resourced gaming policy and enforcement branch at best strained and at worst broken. We have to rely on other parties to do you know, that work. And it appears that you know, that's one of the gaps that occurred. German's 48 recommendations include a new independent regulator, specialized gaming police dedicated to casinos 24-7, and also targeting cash used for luxury cars, boats, and horse racing. There cannot be a weak link or history will repeat itself. And BC cannot afford to double down. John Hua, Global News. All right, they're talking about this in Victoria. That's where Keith Baldry joins us from now. Keith, uh, we heard the Liberals today try to deflect the blame here, mm -hmm. but how was this allowed to go on for so long? Well, it's not like they weren't asked about it over and over again here at the legislature, Chris. Uh, time and again, the NDP hammered away at the B.C. Liberals and, and various ministers over this issue. Who were those ministers? Well, you saw in John's story, uh, Rich Coleman was the minister responsible for gambling for many years in this province, uh, uh, well more than uh, 10 years. Also, Shirley Bond had uh, responsibility for it, albeit a very short time. And then Mike DeYoung was the minister responsible when the things really got bad in July 2015. So all this happened on their watch. Uh, they come out looking terrible, I think, in this report. I've gone, I've read it. It's 247 pages long. No fingers are pointed directly by Peter German. No names are really mentioned here in any negative way. But he does have a convenient chart that shows which minister was in charge of this file during which period of time. And the in unmistakable conclusion, the B.C. Liberals dropped the ball. Either just they, they wanted the money coming into government or they just refused to admit it was such a big problem for so many years. And it'll be interesting whether it has an impact on Rich Coleman's 
his decision on whether or not he's going to seek the mayoralty race in uh, Syria. He should decide that tomorrow. Certainly gives his opposition some uh, ammunition, doesn't it? All right. Thanks. Exactly. Thanks very much, Keith. Meantime, a new Statistics Canada report shows us where foreign ownership is most popular. Ted Chernecki maps the data here in B.C. and explains why much of that property is held by corporations rather than individuals. Think of Vancouver's real estate market as a giant puzzle with a thousand pieces that need to be fitted together before we see the big picture. And today, one piece of the puzzle fell into place from the offices of Stats Canada. They looked at numbered companies and could clearly see where they've been buying real estate in B.C. Many people have argued that this is it. This is the big factor, the big thing driving property prices is foreign investment and corruption and money laundering, right? Well, increasingly we're seeing that that's going on, there's no doubt, <laughs> but it's probably not as big a part of our real estate issues as a lot of people have assumed. Sun Peaks near Kamloops tops the list of non-resident ownership at 17%. Right behind is Whistler at 16%, and perhaps a bit surprising are the UBC endowment lands at 14%. UBC has a lot of international students. Uh, it's not too surprising that a lot of them may have parents who buy them uh, uh, places to live while they're studying at UBC. Perhaps a bigger issue is the 6% of Canadian-numbered corporations that own property. Yes, they are Canadian, but who knows how many foreigners also have a stake in those corporations, which is why last week the province announced a first-of-its-kind registry. To end hidden ownership uh, in British Columbia, there are people who utilize the opportunity of corporations or trusts to be able to hide owners of land and property. Even if those Canadian corporations aren't being driven by foreigners, today's data reveals there's another reason to incorporate, a tax dodge. You can actually create a corporate structure to hold, for instance, a residential property, and you can then trade shares in that corporate structure without it actually being considered a property transfer by, for instance, the province. So we no longer pay property transfer taxes. So we know 14% of all these UBC condos are foreign-owned. What we don't know is how many foreign owners are hiding behind Canadian registered numbered companies. Ted Schernecke, Global News. Police on the North Shore are warning parents to talk to their children about personal safety after a number of disturbing incidents recently. Our Aaron MacArthur is live with more on the suspect's offensive behavior. And Aaron, he's obviously targeting kids and has been for several months now. Yeah, that's right, Chris. Uh, North Vancouver RCMP warning the public about a man who seems to be targeting girls in the range of ages 10 to 16 and right across the North Shore. Here in Lynn Valley, some of the offenses in central Lonsdale and as far west as West Vancouver, North Van RCMP and the West Vancouver Police both putting this release out today. And the MO always the same. The man invites the, the young girls to his car, purporting to be asking for directions. And then when the girls get to the car, they discover that he is exposing his genitals to them. Now, all five cases here so far, the girls haven't been hurt. They've managed to back away from the situation and call their parents and call the RCMP. All five girls have great descriptions of this suspect. Described as 40 to 50 years old with olive skin and short, dark hair and a stocky build. One girl goes so far as to say his face is pudgy. And all five girls also have the same description of his vehicle, a gray Nissan Rogue. RCMP are asking for everyone to be on the lookout. So with school over and we have summer coming and kids are out and about, um, is to just really caution parents and individuals, young girls, young boys, uh, to be extra vigilant about this 
whole idea of walking up to a stranger's vehicle and asking questions, answering them to, to their questions. Now, other than the public warning here, the RCMP want anyone who has seen this vehicle in and around parks and schools to give them a call. The tip line uh, is, uh, is, should be on our website. Chris? All right, Aaron in North Vancouver. Thanks, Aaron. A Vancouver mother who has pleaded guilty to fabricating evidence and child abduction appeared in court today for sentencing. But that sentence is being delayed after shocking new information surfaced. Our Romina Dea joins us with those details. And Romina, there are some pretty serious new allegations involving this woman. Yeah, quite shocking what we heard in court today, Sophie. The Crown Prosecutor would only say that she received a call yesterday from the lead investigator who had been in contact with the warden at Alouette Institution, where the defendant is being held. And now police are investigating new allegations. Now, in her submissions, Crown said that the defendant had snuck her son across the border at Point Roberts, and this was back in March. Now, the VPD had an army of officers working this case, and about three weeks later, they found the child safe in Phoenix, Arizona, where mom was arrested and returned to Canada. Now, Crown told the court that the defendant had called police last year, alleging that her ex-husband had threatened to kill their son, slit her throat, and burn the house down. Crown says the defendant fabricated emails from officers, citing significant safety concerns, which is how she apparently gained a protection order for the child. Now, Crown added that the defendant was on the dark web trying to buy fake ID and asking for prices for hacking, assassination, and maiming. The child's father was in court today and says that the family has been put through hell. How is your family doing? Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Wife's good. Yeah. Kids are good. Kids are happy. Everyone's healthy. So. And your We're, son? How, he's how doing is great. He? Yeah. He's doing great. Yeah, he's going to school. And I hadn't seen her in a while, but she didn't look at me. Yeah. So I didn't expect her to, so it's okay. What are you hoping that it comes as a result of these proceedings and everything that you guys have been through? I don't know. I just... The main thing is that my son's in a good spot. So other than that, I don't really, it's none of my business. Yeah. I don't care. Just, the system will take care of it. She should be punished for doing wrong and that's it. So, right. It's not my decision. But, okay. Or it's never going to stop if she's not punished. So that's about it. Now the defendant remains in custody. The sentencing hearing has now been pushed to July 25th, which will give the officers some time to investigate the new allegations. Sophie. What a story. Rumina, thank you. About half a dozen CN rail cars left the tracks near Front Street in New Westminster early this morning. Crews spent much of the morning trying to tip the cars back onto the tracks. The incident prompted the closure of Front Street between East Columbia and Begbie Street. The Front Street overpass is also used by Amtrak, so service from Vancouver to Seattle was delayed until the cars could be righted. Thankfully, the train wasn't carrying any hazardous materials at the time and no one was injured. The road reopened just after 9 a.m. Questions tonight about Vancouver's affordable housing crisis and how the city is addressing the need. At issue, a proposed rental building in Carisdale charging above average rates. And yet the city somehow still believes it fits into its affordable housing targets. Grace Key joins us with more on this. Grace, what's the cost of the rent here? 
Well, the site is right behind me here, just on the corner of 35th and Arbutus. Now, the proposed rent would be $1,900 a month for one bedroom, leaving some to wonder how this fits with the city's affordable housing goals. In Vancouver's Caresdale neighborhood, there's a proposal for a three-story building with 12 for-profit rental units. A one-bedroom would go for $1,900 a month and a three-bedroom, $3,700. A City of Vancouver report shows the rent is above average from comparable rentals, but it still fits in the city's affordability housing plan. Not affordable? No, not affordable. No. I mean, maybe a couple, but you, as a single person, it would be pretty hard to do. It is higher. It is high. But the rent is just a proposal. At the Duke in Mount Pleasant, a studio was estimated at $1,050. At Move-In, it's listed at $1,700 on Craigslist. So what ends up actually being the initial rent will likely be quite a bit higher. And again, it's only the initial rent. And after that, they can charge whatever they want. Relative to the cost of buying those units, rents at that level are really quite reasonable in terms of what it costs to develop something like this. And because the for-profit, affordable rental property in Arbutus and 35th is seen as a public benefit, community amenity contributions have been waived. That's when property owners make in-kind or cash contributions for things such as parks or community centres. I think it's right that in this case the city not charge a community amenity contribution Otherwise, the rents would have to either be higher than 1900 a month or the project simply wouldn't proceed. It's really hard to understand how the rules around CACs are working. And we have the Kettle Boffo development um, breaking down over CACs. And um, here you have a project where they're saying there's no need for a CAC because they're providing rental housing. There will be a public hearing July 10th on this proposal. It'll be at City Hall at 6 p.m. Sophie? Grace Keyforce in Vancouver. Grace, thank you. Right now, though, UBC researchers have been presented with a rare opportunity, the chance to study two young walruses. Linda Ellsworth explains how the beautiful beasts ended up in Vancouver and what scientists are hoping to learn. What's your tongue? Fur seals are adorable. Very good. Yeah, very good. And now at the Vancouver Aquarium's new research outpost, the public can get a look at them going through their exercises. <laughs> but the real show stealers are these recent arrivals. Are amazing walruses. They are Balzac and Lakina, half siblings born at the Quebec Aquarium, which was running out of space and asked if Vancouver could take them on. They are like little kids. They're only two years old. They just had their second birthdays in, uh, in May. Uh, so they're still very young animals, but they're already really big animals. Balzac weighs just a little over 400 kilos. He could grow to 2,000 kilos when fully grown. Numerous times a day, they get to show what they've learned and in turn educate visitors about their species, which is struggling in the wild. They're probably, I would suggest, the poster child for climate change, and with all apologies to the polar bear. Balzac, dome. Dr. David Rosen was thrilled to find himself in a position to study the seventh and eighth walruses ever born in human care. Having young animals, we can track them throughout their life, but this early period is a huge gift to be able to study this and their controlled conditions. Good, Balzac! The metabolic dome will allow him to better understand the energy walruses burn by measuring the gases they inhale and exhale. And that'll give us an idea of when their behaviors change in the wild, what does that translate into how much fish or how much shellfish they need? 
There are so many unique and fascinating things to know about walruses, like their remarkable sucking ability. They can suck a clam right out of uh, the shell, and when we're feeding these animals, you can, you can just feel them sucking the food away from you. And then there are those iconic tusks, just coming in and capped for their protection. As a scientist, you're not supposed to have favorites and you're not supposed to talk about charismatic animals. And so I won't mention that the walruses are probably the most charismatic animals I've worked with in a long time. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Metro Vancouver's newest dining experience is officially open, although acrophobic foodies might want to avoid it. Yeah, it may not be the best idea for those who fear heights. Dinner in the Sky serves customers gourmet meals 45 meters above North Vancouver's waterfront. They offer brunch, lunch, happy hour and dinner and feature local ingredients along with BC beer and wine. The soaring experience requires deep pockets though. Dinner for two starts at $800. Was that local celebrity chef Ned Bell I saw? I believe it was. Well, we've all heard of vacation disasters, maybe even experienced them, but what about real disasters while on vacation? Andrea is here now with some tips on how to avoid getting caught in a natural disaster on your summer trip. And Yeah, hard to avoid, but there are some precautions you can take. Thanks, you too. While flooding and forest fires are difficult to predict, there are some things you can do to be prepared before hitting the road. Road trip planning is key here. Do your research when considering destinations and avoid areas Areas that may be at high risk of fires and flooding. When booking accommodations, ask about cancellation policies in case you need to make those last minute changes. Prep your vehicle, make sure it's tuned up and checked out by a mechanic at least two weeks ahead of your trip in case repairs are needed. You'll be relying on your car or truck while on the road and it will also get you out of an emergency situation. Track emergency information. Follow Drive BC on Twitter or use their mobile site for highway conditions and road closures throughout the province. BC Wildfire Service tracks current wildfires and fire danger ratings. Emergency Info BC tracks active provincial emergencies, including flooding, evacuation alerts and orders. If you end up finding yourself stuck in a wildfire or flood zone, being informed and being aware of the current situation is really important. So start checking online and scan local news to get important local information and make sure that you follow the instructions provided by emergency services. Good idea to take a printed map with you in case GPS or other navigation tools stop working. That old school solution could save you. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Have a good trip, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Anne. Well, even though it is reaching near epidemic levels in Canada, Crohn's is still one of the least understood diseases. A Quebec man who lives with it every day wants to change that, and he's pedaling across the country, starting in Victoria, to do it. Kylie Stanton reports. With his legs pumping, he picks up speed. You'd never know this 30-year-old ultracyclist has been suffering in silence. You know, every day I have to deal with this and uh, people don't notice it, but it's really painful. 
Vincent Nadon lives with Crohn's disease, an autoimmune condition that affects the intestines, resulting in painful cramping while preventing the absorption of nutrients. Other than changing medication, you know, there's no way to, to heal it. He was diagnosed in 2015 and has been trying to find a treatment that works ever since. But now on an intravenous medication... Well, I'm feeling awesome right now. There's nothing stopping him. I wanted to uh, make a difference and uh, show what's possible even though, if, even if you have the disease. And so he's decided to embark on an ambitious cross-country journey, raising money and awareness along the way. I'm starting in Victoria and uh, going back to Montreal, where I, where I live. And uh, the journey is about 5,700 kilometers. He's hoping to raise $5,000 in total, a little less than $1 for every kilometer he'll ride over the month-long trek. While it will go a long way towards Crohn's research, it wouldn't cover the cost of even one of his treatments. So the first dose is uh, $8,000, and uh, the second one is uh, about 5000 and it's every two months. It's very expensive. In Nadal's case, the drug manufacturer has agreed to cover it without charge. But his concern is for the growing number of patients in Canada who are currently struggling. One of the biggest countries with uh, Crohn's disease, sadly. So yeah, I want to, to change these numbers, decrease, <laughs> decrease the cost a bit. Finding the right treatment is what's allowing him to conquer this next challenge. If there are any obstacles along the way, his medication is packed. He'll be ready for it. Problems are part of the adventure. I'll deal with it as it comes. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Roads becoming raging rivers in the Greek town of Mandra, west of Athens. Torrents of water from a nearby mountain flooding the town, sending mud and debris through the streets. Floods like this killed 20 people last year. Officials blaming this on poor town planning and insufficient flood prevention because much of the town was built on filled-in torrent beds. Fresh off its surprising decision to uphold Donald Trump's travel ban, there's yet another shakeup in the U.S. Supreme Court. Judge Anthony Kennedy is retiring, giving Trump a chance to nominate another conservative justice. Within an hour of the announcement, the National Association for Abortion Rights posted a message. Roe v. Wade was in danger. I think if the Trump administration gets their way and rams this justice through um, by any means necessary, women will suffer. While evangelicals who have been advocating against abortion since the controversial ruling was made more than 40 years ago see the first real opening for their cause in a long time. This is a very, very big day. Matter of fact, we would think it's a historic day for the culture of life. The head of the Family Research Council, which is anti-abortion and against same-sex marriage, posted this. Justice Kennedy's retirement will turbocharge the evangelical vote. For people who feel strongly about issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, affirmative action, just to name a few, today's news is nothing short of a tectonic shift. We believe that uh, we should go back to God's design for marriage and family, which is one man, one woman marriage. And it is being greeted with jubilation on one hand and outright fear on the other. This puts the LGBTQ community in, in square shot of having a lot of our rights rolled back. While the Legal Defense Fund, a branch of the NAACP, took to Twitter, predicting that a solidly conservative court would have an enormous impact on civil rights, 
and undermine progress made toward greater racial justice and equality. Tonight, some Supreme Court experts are calling Kennedy's retirement the ultimate rally cry. And the cry is loud on both sides. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, New York. The controversial father who created the Jackson family dynasty has died. Joe Jackson formed the Jackson Five in 1966, and two years later, Tito, Jackie, Jermaine, Marlon, and Michael signed with Motown Records. They are one of the most successful R&B groups of all time. Jackson later helped launch and manage the solo careers of both Michael and Janet. But he was also criticized heavily for being too harsh on his children, admitting he often disciplined them physically. Jackson passed away Wednesday after a battle with cancer at the age of 89. A video of a powwowing toddler is going viral, and it's no surprise as to why. Assassin stole the show at the National Indigenous Day celebrations in Camrose, Alberta. His mother says he is self-taught and learned to dance by watching YouTube videos of powwow dancers. He's a natural, even knowing how to change his tempo at certain points in the song. Taking a bit of a tumble? No problem. Just get right back up again and keep dancing. The show must go on, of course. Exactly. All right, in Health Matters tonight, the Canadian Transplant Games are in Vancouver this year, starting July 2nd. For all the athletes, just crossing the finish line is a victory, able to compete because someone became an organ donor. BC's youngest athlete is a seven-year-old girl who had a heart transplant when she was just three weeks old. Addison MacArthur is planning to wow the crowd, especially the mother whose daughter's heart saved her life. On your mark. Training Set. is important. Go. Especially when you're heading to the Canadian Transplant Games. Go. Seven-year-old Addison MacArthur will be competing in three events. <laughs> yeah. Watching her work out, it's hard Go. to believe she almost died before she was even one month old. We are here. Look how far she's come. And it's hard to believe that it's happening. When Addison was three weeks old, Elaine noticed she was cold. Her lips were blue. She wouldn't eat. A trip to emergency turned into an ambulance ride to BC Children's Hospital with a shocking discovery. Addison had a heart defect that couldn't be repaired. Her heart was almost in complete failure. Her only chance to live was a transplant. Within 48 hours, a donor heart was found. Addison was the first infant in BC to receive a heart transplant. All right, going down. For pediatric heart transplant patients, overall survival at 10 years post-transplant is about 65%. It was kind of this like goal. One day we'll go compete at the transplant games. Tell me about your medicine. A heart transplant isn't the end. There is medication twice a day. Drugs with names most adults can't pronounce. Tacolimus and MNF. It isn't a cure, but it's a damn sight better than the other option. Part of having a transplant is regular visits to the transplant clinic. A right heart, left heart. Making sure the drug cocktail is right, keeping rejection at bay. I knew her as a newborn, um, and this is why we transplant, so that she is having a good life. This won't be Addison's first Games. She's been to the World Transplant Games twice, first in Argentina, then Spain. But these games will be different. 
Watching from the wings will be the mother whose daughter's heart beats in Addison's chest. Having uh, her donor mom, Felicia, uh, be able to see her compete will be just really incredibly special. Thank you. I know Felicia's really excited Go. to be able to be part of that and to see sort of the legacy that her daughter's life has, has been able to continue. <laughs> Lynn Collier, Global News. And we at Global are so happy to see Addison running around. Uh, two familiar faces in that Absolutely. story too. Aaron MacArthur, of course, and Elaine Young. So. Because my flow is sick and my rhymes are hella hard to believe you're looking like a puppy from my late night Or not. Whatever song you choose to write. I don't know. <laughs> no, Sarah McLaughlin isn't launching a new hip-hop career. It's part of a funny video announcing a content, uh, sorry, a contest on the online platform Omaze to benefit her school of music. Until August 14th, every $10 donation is worth 10 tickets for a chance to spend a day with McLaughlin. The winner can also write and record a song with her if they want. The Sarah McLaughlin School of Music provides free music programming to at-risk youth in Vancouver, Surrey and Edmonton. The story behind this surprise drop-in in an Edmonton convenience store after the forecast. Beautiful night to be out at Rocky Point Park. That's where Christy Gordon is, I believe, uh, within a stone's throw of some breweries as well, if I know the area, Christy. That's exactly right. Just not too far away from uh, Yellow Dog and a couple of different breweries that we were at just uh, last year, was it? I can't yeah. remember how long time seems to be flying by these days. But you know, the park here is fantastic. You can see all the families here in behind me having picnics, some people picking up fish and chips and just enjoying the park, some people just going for a stroll. Now it is a little breezy, uh, but definitely a beautiful night down here. Uh, as we talked about though, we need to talk about this long weekend weather first though it is we love water wednesday and we're showing your tweets now you can tweet me as well michelle pazzanelli says a browning lawn is a sign of summer watering once an hour or what one hour a week is all it needs to stay healthy we love water and also sean burns saying in these dry days of summer i use less water by letting my car get dusty there's a challenge for you chris galas not sure if you can do it but you can try uh here's a look at uh we love water uh wednesdays you can tweet us just uh, hashtag we love water all right uh full moon this was taken last night from chris clute thank you for that but you can watch for a full moon again tonight there's a fair amount of cloud out there but if you see a, a clear patch have a look because it's beautiful overnight we'll have a few isolated showers across the south but mainly a wave of moisture is going to push onto the coast tomorrow that's going to bring in more cloud and about a 40 percent chance of showers for the metro vancouver region the bulk of the moisture really will fall on the outer coast and even into our friday mainly cloudy with the 40 percent chance of showers so certainly a little unsettled over the next little while there's your sky tracker app check it out if you're going camping this weekend a great way to find the forecast for exactly where you're camping uh, it's a free app by the way your forecast for the northern regions mainly wet along the coast mainly dry across southern BC temperatures a little below seasonal and about a 40% chance of showers across the south coast we'll see some breaks of blue sky not only tomorrow but on Friday as well but as we head throughout the long weekend that's when we slowly dry so Saturday being the wettest and at this point drying out driest day being 
on Monday, as you can see there. So I'll continue enjoying down here. I've heard there's great ice cream just up the way as well. <laughs> so I will check that out with John Dow, my camera guy. Sorry, <laughs> I don't think I'll make it back to the studio with that. Oh, though. you know, I knew you were going to say that. Christy and John <laughs> eat their way through Rocky Point. All right. Thanks, Christy. RCMP in Spruce Grove near Edmonton responded to a call about a man and woman trying to use stolen credit cards. But during the struggle to arrest them, the woman managed to run into the store's back room. And police thought she escaped out the back door. Turns out she'd climbed up into the ceiling. As officers spoke to the clerk, she comes crashing down onto the shelves. After making a move towards the door, she wisely reconsiders, obeys the officer's orders to get down on the floor, and is arrested without further incident. She hits pretty hard. <laughs> Both the 29-year-old woman and a 28-year-old man face a number of charges. I like that she's like, uh, nothing to see here. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fine. Nothing happened. I know you heard a crash, but it was... Yeah. Oh, Go back to whatever you're doing. That's brilliant. <laughs> Squire, good to see you. Good to see you, too. I am not inebriated. It's, aller it's allergy medication. Just, yes, it is. Is that what it is? Well, okay. I'm, could be. I'm just a happy guy. We gotta go. <laughs> I'm not quite sure... Why Costa Rica did not start Whitecaps captain Kendall Watson in their first two games at the World Cup. They should have. It's kind of sad. He didn't get the play until Costa Rica was out of the tournament. But at least he got the play today and he did something not many can say they did. He scored a World Cup goal. Let's enjoy. There's Kendall Watson right there. Proud to get in for Costa Rica. Taking on the Swiss. Corner kick. The big man. Gets his head on it. Get his hair specifically for the World Cup. And he gets his goal. One more look. Two more looks. See, this is why I don't understand why they didn't play him. He's great on the set pieces. His goal put Costa Rica in the World Cup. We've seen him do this for the Whitecaps. 2-2 finals. Good for you, Kendall Watson. Well, well, well. In 2010, Italy, the defending champs, were knocked out in the group stage. 2014, Spain, defending champs, knocked out in the group stage. 2018, Germany, defending champs, out in the group stage. Kim Young-Gwon, scoring for South Korea in the 93rd minute, in extra time. So many goals scored in extra time. And then this one. They basically pulled the goalie. 2-0. Germany's out. I know. Well, they've won four World Cups, so, you know, they can think about that. I know. So Mexico, these two games are going on simultaneously, and Mexico is thinking, well, there's no way Germany's going to lose to South Korea, so we have to beat Sweden. But Sweden beats them. Ludwig Augustinsson with a goal there, and then Andreas Grandis with this penalty kick goal, but then the Mexicans found out South Korea did them a huge favor. If I'm a South Korean, I'm going to Mexico on vacation, you won't have to pay for a thing. <laughs> they will love you in Mexico. Brazil and Serbia. Winning you're in, Brazil. Paulinho! 2 nothing for the Brazilians in this one. So, let us take a look at some more matchups. No Germany, Brazil gets Mexico in the first knockout round game and Brazil would be a heavy favorite there. And the Swiss and the Swedes will meet on July the 3rd. Penalty kicks have been a big part of this year's World Cup. I count 18 goals scored through PKs.
But we have seen the likes of Messi and Ronaldo both miss on penalty kicks at the World Cup. So no matter who you are, when you're standing at that spot and waiting to kick the ball, there's a lot of pressure simply because the odds say you should be able to score. And how about this? Lionel Messi stepping up. Odds are that seven out of ten times when a player strides to the spot and takes a penalty, it's going to go in. But as we've witnessed time and time again, the odds don't always play out as expected. Messi put Argentina in front. He missed it! But definitely it's not as easy as you think it is, but uh, there's, there's different penalty kicks, you know, and right now watching the World Cup, uh, those penalty kicks are in a different state. And, it brings it brings on a lot of pressure on the kicker more than the, the goalkeeper I'll say and I have to be honest there's guys taking penalty kicks which I know I will be thinking about you know my nation my country the 50,000 in the stadium and all that moment in this first game and it's been saved it's a fantastic stop when it comes to taking penalties it's easy to assume everything favors the player on the spot and really it should considering the penalty taker is a mere 12 yards away from a target that appears to be the size of a costco warehouse it's one that there's definitely more pressure on the kicker than there's the goalie i mean statistics will tell you that you should be able to convert those more times than not so as a goalkeeper you're just you do your research on the player you look at their tendencies of where they've gone in the past and at the end of the day, you're going on gut gut feeling and just kind of what you see and you're hoping you can make a save. And you'll also get a defender or midfield player in his ear trying to talk to him about other nonsense things that uh, tries to put him off. And that's what happens. If you're standing there just right now in your soccer skills, they put you there say, you have to take this penalty or you don't work for the next six months. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's the situation there. That's what the situation the guys are going through. All right. Jays, Astros, bottom of the ninth, Alex Bregman, man on, ball out. That's a walk-off, 7-6, Strohs beat the Jays in Houston. And Argos quarterback Ricky Ray, they say he is now out the year after that serious neck injury he suffered against Calgary. It's interesting to note, he actually thought about retiring after winning the Grey Cup last year, decided to come back another year, but I'm wondering now if he will pack it in after this. There you go. A combination of a radio glitch and pilot error turned a routine JetBlue flight leaving New York into a terrifying experience for passengers. They found themselves surrounded by heavily armed police who were operating on the belief the plane was being hijacked. The coded message from the JetBlue pilot to air traffic control, hijacking in progress. Go to check out the aircraft right here, copy. Within minutes, police had the plane surrounded. Stunned passengers told to put their hands up. Everybody had their hands up, you know, made a pretty dominant presence. While the pilot assured passengers it was all a miscommunication, a heavily armed SWAT team boarded the plane to make sure. It was scary because... It's never happened to me before. One passenger taking to Twitter, my worst nightmare. Honestly thought we were going to die. I'm alive. JetBlue 1623. It all started when JetBlue flight 1623 lost contact with the tower while taxiing for takeoff. Western top of your monitor, 123.9. Everybody's waiting for you. Unable to communicate, the pilot meant to type in and transmit a four-digit code that he was having radio problems. Instead, he accidentally typed in the four-digit code for hijack. It's a keypad 
entry into a small rectangular box and it's a four digit code and the the pilots just inadvertently entered one wrong digit. Finally, word it was all a false alarm. No hijacking for terrified passengers, a three hour delay before the nightly flight to LA. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. Crazy. It's one digit off. Yeah. Maybe they're, maybe they're going to revisit that yeah, you wanna, in the next memo. Yeah, you very, very different. To. All right. Are we heading back to Christie? I think we are. Back to Rocky Point Park? Let's do it. There Did she is. Did you really forget about me? How was the ice cream? <laughs> I haven't had it yet. Oh. I'm waiting. I'm waiting because it would make a mess otherwise, and I'd make a fool of myself. What a great uh, evening down here. We had people flying kites in behind me, lots of families, and as you mentioned, the brewery's not too far away. Maybe I'll go there instead of getting an ice cream, actually, guys. But a great evening down here. What about an ice cream beer float? Is that a thing? Do they make a beer flavored uh, ice cream? They must. Probably. Somewhere. So. They must. Right. Thanks, Christy. Enjoy it down there. Thanks for watching. Have a good night, all.